so we are in a series called Plan B Theology, or the Theology of Plan B. And tonight we are going to delve into emotions. We're going to talk about emotions, and that is going to be our main focus as we look at Jacob and Joseph and Joseph's brothers and what happens to them in Genesis 42 through 43. And so in this series, we're, we're looking or talking about uh, the fact that sometimes life does not go the way that we planned or hoped it would go. Uh, and so we have to have a plan B, right? And so what does it look like to have a theology of plan B? And so let's pray and then we'll jump into the scripture. God, we ask that, Lord, you would be the king that we glory in, that we would find ourselves satisfied in you. Lord, that we would be pleased first and foremost to be your servants that we would find our primary identity in you and in nothing else. Lord, meet us at the point of our needs. Uh, God, we are in need of so many different things, uplifting, encouragement, challenging direction. And so, Lord, we ask that you would meet those. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Can we have story time for a few minutes? So Genesis chapter 37 is where we began this series with meeting Joseph. We met Joseph at the age of 17 years old, and he was going off into a field to find his not one, not two, not three, but 10 other brothers, 11 other brothers, excuse me. And so he goes off into this field to find his brothers and to converse with them. Uh, and then eventually in Genesis 37, we see that um, Joseph is given what's called the coat of many colors. And this coat of many colors is a way of Joseph's father, Jacob, showing his favor. And he shows his favor on his son by blessing him with this coat, this extravagant coat of many colors. And Joseph's brothers had a hatred and a hostility toward him because he was favored by his father, but also because he had two dreams. He had two dreams that made it appear in Genesis 37 that uh, his brothers and his mother and his father was going to bow down to him in subservience. And lo and behold, what we find in Genesis 42 through 43 is that actually happens. His dreams, Joseph's dreams, become reality. But what happens in Genesis 42 and 43 uh, is, and I have to back up a little bit more, is that Joseph is sold off into slavery by his brothers, and he ends up in the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, um, Pharaoh's uh, captain of the guard, Potiphar, uh, cared for and trusted Joseph. He trusted him so much that he made him second in command over all of his house. And what happened is, is that Potiphar's wife ended up lusting and loving uh, and being so attracted and smitten with this young Joseph that she tries to sleep with him. Uh, and so he doesn't want to sleep with her. In fact, he tells her, no, I cannot do this thing because your husband has been so great to me, so kind to me. I cannot sleep with you. Uh, and what happens is that Potiphar's wife, uh, she's not named in the text, but she is uh, so smitten with him that she tries to frame him for rape. And that obviously upsets Potiphar. And so Potiphar takes Joseph and puts him into prison. He puts him into prison in his house. Well, while he's in prison in Potiphar's house, he meets a baker and a chief cup bearer 
for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh had, had discarded this baker and this chief cupbearer for various different reasons. And uh, Joseph becomes friends with these two gentlemen. And he ends up uh, interpreting two dreams for them. The chief cupbearer comes to Joseph and says, can you interpret this dream? And Joseph does. And he says, hey, you'll eventually be restored to your place at the right side of Pharaoh. But to the baker, he tells him, no, sir, you will not find yourself restored to Pharaoh's house, but you will find yourself hung. And so that is what happens. It comes to pass. Well, time goes on and Pharaoh has a dream himself. And at this moment, the chief cupbearer has been restored to his prominent place beside Pharaoh. And he's looking, Pharaoh is looking for someone to interpret this dream that he's had. Uh, and so they call up Joseph because the chief cupbearer remembers after a time that uh, he had interpreted his dream correctly. And so Joseph goes before Pharaoh and hears Pharaoh's dream and tells Pharaoh that what your dream means is there are going to be seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt, but there's also going to be seven years of famine. And that seven years of famine is going to be so great throughout the region. He says to Pharaoh, though, but don't worry. If we store up during our time of abundance, then we will have plenty in the time of famine. And that leads us up to where we are in Genesis 42. Because in Genesis 42, what happens is the brothers of Joseph, the 11 brothers, the 10 brothers, excuse me, Benjamin stays at home with his dad. But the 10 brothers make a journey to Egypt, hearing that in Egypt, there is an abundant amount of grain that they can eat from. And so they go to Egypt, not knowing that their brother Joseph has now been made the second or prime minister of all of Egypt. And what happens is they begin to beg and ask for food for their household. And Joseph immediately recognizes them, but they do not immediately recognize Joseph. And Joseph eventually accuses them of being spies. In the land. He says, hey, you, you've come here to see the weakness of the land. You have not come just for food. And so he does not trust them or he makes it appear that he does not trust them. But when he sees them, he has to go off into a side room and he begins to weep because he misses his brothers and he realizes this is them who sold me into slavery. Well, in Genesis 43, um, we have Joseph sending his brothers home to get their brother Benjamin, because he asked, do you have a father? And he says, and they say, yes, we have a father. Well, is he still alive? Joseph asked, and he says, yes, he is. And he says, well, do you have any other brothers? And they say, yes, we have a younger brother who has stayed back with our father. And he says, well, bring your brother and leave a brother with me to make sure that I have some collateral to make sure that you'll return. So the brothers go home to back to their father's land in the Hebron Valley. And there they tell their father that they have met this prime minister, but that they had to leave Simeon, one of the brothers, in captivity to Joseph. So today I want us to think about emotion because Joseph and his brothers and his father Jacob are all on an emotional roller coaster in Genesis 42 and 43. Now, we're not going to read every 
uh, verse in Genesis 42 and 43, but we're going to kind of move around and look at various pieces of Genesis 42 and 43. And first, I want to introduce you to Jacob and his dominant emotion of grief. You see, Jacob was led to believe by his sons that Joseph, his favorite son, was dead. And so he is just gripped by grief and he cannot get over it. In fact, I'll read this to Genesis 42 verses 36 through 38 if you want to turn there or scroll there or you can just listen. It says, their father Jacob said to them, talking about the brothers, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. Remember, because he's in captivity. And now you want to take Benjamin and everything is against me. It sounds like a father who has not yet dealt with his grief, his pain. And so what does he do? He goes on in verse 37. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring you back, uh, back him to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he has only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Grief is such a real emotion. It's such a hard thing, right? To lose a loved one, someone who we've entrusted uh, and who we've believed in and who we've encouraged and who we've hugged. But Jacob finds himself not able to get away from grief. He is stuck on the roller coaster of grief and he doesn't know when or where to get out. Then when we come to the brothers, we see that their dominant emotion throughout Genesis 42 and 43 is fear. They have fear. They have fear of Joseph because they don't know who he is. They, they think that he means to harm them. They have fear of Joseph's servants. And so in Genesis 42, verses 26 through 28, it reads like this. It says, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. This is after Joseph had allowed them to go back home. And at the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey. And he saw silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other, trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? They've been gripped, not by grief like Jacob, but they've been gripped by fear. If you go on in verse in chapter 30, 43 and look at verses 16 through 18, you see again that they have become gripped by fear. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my house, slaughter an animal and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph told him, and they took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, they, we, were be, we are going to be brought here because of the silver that was put in the pack of our sacks the first time. And he wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. But then when we look at Joseph, we see Joseph's dominant emotion throughout the text is one of compassion. 
And what a foil it is compared to that of Jacob's grief and the brother's fear. We see Joseph has nothing but compassion. Genesis 43 and 30 says, Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, talking about Benjamin, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there, not only out of sadness, but because he was so moved to see his family, to see his kin, to see his youngest brother. So all of this, thinking about all of these emotions, this uh, emotional roller coaster that's happening in 42 and 43, there is a theology that we can take of emotion from this text. I've just got two simple encouragements and a couple of scriptures, and I'll be out of your way. One is that our theology of emotion can be defined as emotions are God-given and therefore have the capacity to be good. Emotions are God-given and have the capacity to be good. That's found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, when God was finished creating all of creation and had created the pinnacle of creation, humanity. He looked on us and he said, they are very good. You see, when he created us, he didn't just create our intellect and say that our intellect is good, but he said that our very emotions are good. So what do we do with Jacob and his brothers and, uh, and Joseph's brothers and Joseph's emotions? You see, because they displayed some emotions that weren't so good. They displayed grief, which is a natural part of our life, and they displayed fear and compassion. But we have to recognize emotion as being God-given because God himself has emotion but God is not ruled by his emotion. His emotions, we see them scattered out throughout the scriptures where he weeps himself, where he is sad, where he regrets. There is emotion in God and we as his creation reflect him as the omago Dei, as those made in the image of God. Two, your emotions and my emotions are designed to respond to God's word, his spirit, and are crucial for a wholehearted response to him and others. You know, many times we treat our emotions like they are something to hide. Uh, but one of my friends recently told me, he said, Damaris, emotions are like children. We take care of them, we pay attention to them, but we cannot allow them to make all of the decisions, right? And I thought that was a beautiful picture but with emotions, we must not be afraid to display them, to show them, and to experience them during worship, to experience them when we open up the scriptures. Because in them, in our emotions, we are allowing them uh, to, to create a wholehearted response to God and what he's saying to us or doing in us. Many times, Christians, especially uh, in the Western world, we have made our emotions something to hide, and we've relied solely on our intellect. But our mind and our heart must be intertwined, because that is what the whole-bodied, embodied experience is. Lastly, our emotional states are windows into our soul. They reveal the allegiance 
of our hearts. They reveal the allegiance of our hearts. You see, the fear that the brothers of Joseph displayed, that was because they did not have a rightful fear of God. The grief that seemed to grip uh, Jacob, and like I said, grief is, a, is a, an experience that we all go through and have, but Jacob could not find himself uh, availed of the grief, and so he had gotten stuck in that moment. And so his allegiance was not to trusting God to be his comforter, but he had forsaken God in that moment. And so you and I, in our emotions, we must realize that they say something about who we have as the king of our heart, the king of our emotions. But when we trust God with our emotions, I'm reminded in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. You see, Paul lays out for us a span of emotions that have been redeemed, redeemed by the Spirit of God. And so it is something for us to, to, to live into, because when we have these emotions, when we live with the fruit of the Spirit, that that is revealing our allegiance to Christ. And then lastly, when we pray, when we seek God, with Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This must be a prayer for us that when we have emotion, that we ask God to search us, to help us understand how to live into our emotion and how to hold on to our emotion and how to rightly display them. And so when we ask God to search us, to test us, he can show us what is best and what is the way we should live. Let's pray. Dear God, I ask that you would help us that you would be with us because emotions are so complex. They are tricky and they can sometimes domineer us. But Lord, we want to be ruled by you. And so we want to be ruled by your spirit. And so Lord, we trust that if we are in you, that you will help us to rightly emote. You will give us the right motivations in our emotions, whether that be anger, sadness, grief, kindness, love, or joy. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.